A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This episode is part of the Data Innovation Summit Takeover Week of Data Mesh Radio. The summit takes place May 5th and 6th in Stockholm. The Hyperite team, who is running the summit, is giving away an in-person and three online tickets, as well as providing a 20% discount code for Data Mesh Radio listeners. Please see the show notes for more details about how to enter to win tickets or for the discount code. Thanks. Hi, this is Fera from Data Innovation Summit. Join us on the largest and most influential annual enterprise data, analytics, and AI event in the world, bringing together the most innovative minds, enterprise practitioners, technology providers, startup innovators, and academics in one place to discuss ways to accelerate AI-driven transformation throughout companies, industries, and public organizations. With over 200 international speakers in this 7th edition, spread across 9 stages, 6 workshop rooms, 140 TIP sessions, and plenty of learning and networking activities in the exhibition area. The Data Innovation Summit is the place to be for all professionals and organizations working with utilization of data and AI innovation for enhancing customer experience, improve operational processes, enable future sustainability, reinventing business models or developing data-driven products and services. May 5th and 6th, all data, analytics and AI roads lead to Stockholm. See you there! Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? As part of the Data Innovation Summit Takeover Week, I interviewed Jarko Moilinen, a data economist and the country CDO ambassador for Finland. 
Yarko will be presenting on data monetization and related data value chain requires both data products and services on May 6th in track M6 at the Data Innovation Summit. Yarko is approaching measuring the value of data and then trying to extract that value from data from many different angles. He's thinking about data products, data as a service, data as a product, etc. Per Yarko, treating data like a product can apply a lot of the learnings from the API revolution. This time around, we can skip a lot of the sharp edges and not cut ourselves nearly as much. <laughs> APIs are about an interface to value creation. How can we treat data the same way? We discuss the difference between return and return on investment. A data initiative may have a very high return, but if the investment to get that return is very large, it can be a bad initiative. Yarko coined a new concept on the call, the half-life of data value. To Yarko, for a large percent of data, the value of that data starts to fall considerably over a relatively short period of time. How can we extract the value when it is most valuable? If the half-life is weeks, days, hours, or even less, how do we set ourselves up to get the most bang for the buck, so to speak? Yarko is firmly in the camp of intentionality around data. We can't keep betting on this data might have value or collecting data for the sake of collecting it. The data cleansing after the fact is difficult. You know, what was the context at the time? Can you enrich the data further, etc.? And the cost to do so is typically quite high compared to the value. And you keep incurring costs just to keep the data around in storage. If you ascribe to his data half-life theory, the value diminishes quickly. So keeping around so much data you aren't using is just, why? (laughs) Yarko's data economy model has three layers that he adopted from the API model and then adapted specifically for data. The bottom layer is private or internal to the organization only use of data. In Yarko's view, I don't necessarily agree, but I think it's a good framework. This is typically for organizations that don't have the capabilities to productize their data. If they can move toward productizing, it will enable reuse, not just for themselves, but potentially third parties. My disagreement is that there's often data you would not be willing to share as it is is too valuable. So being at the bottom layer does not mean you don't have the capability to participate at a higher level. It may be that you have specific reasons not to do, whether that's economic or legal or ethical or or anything like that. The middle layer in his three-layer API economy or data economy is to have closed sharing agreements with other organizations, creating data sharing ecosystems, very tightly knit Uh, ecosystems. These ecosystems are typically very limited in the number of other organizations involved. They're often also about creating value for a joint purpose, such as two suppliers sharing data specifically to meet a customer need. To participate in the data economy at this layer, you need to productize your data enough to make it generally understandable and relatively easy to use. The top layer is kind of the one most people might think of when they they hear, you know, productizing your data and and the data economy, which is putting your data out on on a public data marketplace. Organizations participating at this layer are packaging data or even 
manipulation mechanics, such as algorithms for, for the data for sale to third parties. Yarko also has four key elements that define a data product in his mind, whether that's a data mesh data product or, or not. So the top layer is the technical data flow layer, really, how is the data processed, created, stored, you know, all of that kind of infrastructure aspects of it. The business plan layer is the second layer, and that's like plans for the data, really, what is the business objective of the data product? Why does this data product exist? Third is the legal layer. Like, what are the conditions for using the data? What, what are people legally allowed to do and, and how? Uh, and then the fourth one is the ethical layer. This is becoming more important in, in the AI space, but we should think about ethical use in all aspects of data products. Sarita Bax at JPMC talked about this kind of concept in her episode of what are the ethics around using the data? Not just can we do it, but should we? For the business layer specifically, Yarko recommends adopting things working elsewhere. So he has another three-layer approach. And you could look at that as kind of the bottom layer being the legal layer as like as in the, the business aspects of what's legally allowed. The middle layer is a machine readable layer, and the top layer must be human readable. Data that is only one of the last two of machine readable and human re- readable is just not really all that useful in, in Yariko's mind. However, within this framework, we can we really only have standards for the technical layer. How can we create trust with the user? How can we think about creating more standards at the human readable layer? That's an interesting question that I don't have any answers to. Yarko talked about trust as a measurement for value. If you can't trust data, its value is significantly less. Khan Chow talked about at Northern Trust, there was a significant amount of post-processing work when they were just doing data services, the data wasn't as trustable or usable. That significantly raises the total cost and thus lowers the value of the data, right? Your return on your investment ends up decreasing because you have a higher investment and you probably actually have to spend more time on that, which again, if you subscribe to his uh, half-life value of data, the more time you're spending on that, the less valuable that data is. Yarko has been working on a trust index specifically for data products, which is especially applicable in a data exchange scenario. He said he's, he's got some things that are likely to be coming out about that in the nearish future. For Yarko, there are three key things to managing data. First, treat every bit or, or set of data as if you'd share it externally. That can mean enriching it and making it trustable, usable, but especially secure. Right, Data has a habit of going external in some way. <laughs> Second, make your data actually usable for your scenario. What level of data literacy do you have within your organization so you know what bar you have to meet? How can you find what he talked about is kind of this core 80% in a 10-80-10 split of you know, 10% of people are just completely data illiterate. 10% of people are your best data people in the world. That core 80% are people that can leverage data, that are bought into leveraging data, but you have to kind of unleash their capability to do so. What is that going to drive? You know, what insights can that 80%, that big bulk of your company drive with data? The third key thing would be 
have a, a ready-made toolkit to mock your data products at that business layer with your consumers, or your customers. This is more about the process than, than tooling, but you know, have like a set of canvases so you can share ideas about new data products and get good feedback. That good feedback from users before creating a data product is going to be very useful. You're going to know, you're going to find your users. You're going to find the use cases that people really care about. Yarko summarized his thoughts with let the business people lead the way. If they aren't enabled to lead, we need to educate them so they can leverage the data. If it's just the data people trying to lead, we're going to be lacking so much of the business context within each of the domains. So we've got to really make it so that those business people can lead the way um, and that we they can leverage the data themselves. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. So very, very excited for this episode. We've got another in the Data Innovation Summit 2022 takeover week here. I've got Yarko Moilinen, and, and please do <laughs> correct me if I totally murdered your name. And he, he's a, a data economist, you know, uh, talking about just the kind of general concept of what is the value of data? How do we value data? How do we create data? How do we generate value from data? All of those topics kind of intertwined. And, and I think this is a really, really useful topic for, for a lot of folks out there because that's kind of what Data Mesh is really trying to narrow in on. And so uh, what we're going to be talking today is like how companies are, are thinking about entering the, the data economy in general. Um, Yarko has his own um, kind of model around data products and, and what are the four layers of those that you've got to tackle to make it actually a complete and useful and, and usable data product. And we're just going to kind of be talking about a lot of those different things of, you know, everybody keeps saying, or I know Jamak hates this, I hate this, but data is the new oil. Hmm. So, but data has value, but how do we get to it? How do we measure it? How do we extract it? How do we, how do we actually go from, you know, the data to the value? It's not that it just inherently has value in and of itself. You have to use it to actually create that value. So we're going to be talking about a, a lot of different things around that. So very, very excited. I think it'll be very useful. And uh, Yarko, if you don't mind, if you could uh, give people a, a little bit of an introduction to yourself and we can jump into the topic at hand. All right. Thanks for the invitation and uh, great to be here. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm kind of a data economist. Uh, so uh, in a way, I'm, I'm approaching the data economy from multiple angles. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working as a chief data officer in one of the companies in Finland, uh, a long-term company. And then I'm, I'm also participating as a co-founder in a couple of startups. And then I'm also doing a PhD about the subject. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I, am, I have this uh, hobby of doing PhDs. So I have one already. It was about 3D printing. 
and now I'm doing my second PhD about now it's about the data economy, and it's focusing on 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 the subject that you mentioned. So data products, uh, data as a service, the value propositions, how to make value out of data, and how it actually happens. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of uh, looking looking the subject from multiple angles and uh, constantly learning myself and trying to, trying to explain the world. But also uh, I'm I'm a practitioner. So I, I want to make things happen uh, at the same time, and I, as I'm, I'm, I'm making models and explaining things for other other sea uh, uh, level guys and the managers of, of of data products. But in in a, in a nutshell, I'm I'm like all over the data from different angles and and constantly doing uh, innovations and trying trying to trying to understand what it is. And this data mess is a is a concept that I'm I'm thrilled with. I'm trying to trying to get a grape of it, what it actually is in, in reality and how it actually fits into this, this model of four layers that I have for the data product. Slightly different, but touching the same same subjects again. Right. Well, and I think that's that's an important through line through a lot of the conversations that I have with people that are implementing that are having success is the focus on driving value and driving like business outcomes because mm-hmm. you know there are a lot of people especially on the data side that like to play with cool technology <laughs> instead of one like that's their their main focus or that's the main thing is the interesting part is the technology it's like no we we really have to think about how you actually get the value out it's not i don't know if you're familiar with the south park reference of the underpants gnomes but they've got this um <laughs> They have this uh, chart and it's uh, their whole business plan is step one, steal underpants, step two, big question mark, step three, profit. And so <laughs> like the, the fact of how often that concept comes up around data, you know, if data is the new oil, okay, then like, what are you doing to refine? What are you doing to extract? What are you doing to all? And then people just go, well, but it, it's valuable. Well, yeah. but what what part of it is valuable? Why is it valuable? What is it support for your business outcome? All of that. So exactly, and yeah, and this this is this is the point that I'm. I'm uh, uh, this is the second time I'm facing the same problems and same challenges. The first round was uh, around the APIs, like uh, five or ten years ago. It was it it was also uh, led by technical people, CTOs and uh, developers, and uh, everything was super technical. And the debate was about acronyms, REST API, uh, whatever, GR, different kind of uh, technical stuff uh, was uh, was uh, dominating the speech and dominating the rhetorics. But uh, then suddenly people understand understood that hey, APIs are tools for value creation they are interfaces for value uh, and that that same thing is happening now with the data we are talking about data as products data uh, servitized data or, or whatever but we're now entering the same phase again it used to be mdm it used to be data pipelines the, the hardcore bits and bytes going through some kind of uh uh, quality monitoring and everything was super technical and now people are questioning so what as you said so what i don't care if 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 the quality is 99.9% i don't give a damn the most important thing is that does is is the quality good enough to solve my business problem 
That's the measurement, not any kind of percentage. And this is the first thing that I'm, I'm kind of trying to get people to understand that you should approach the thing from tech, uh, from business need perspective. If your company is has a made a decision that hey, let's enter data economy, you probably have some kind of goals that you you want to do as a business, and that should be driving not your CTO, not the technology, not the latest gimmicks, but what you want to achieve in the business. And uh, that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm also focusing quite, quite heavily in, in in my in my work that I daily do with different kind of companies, different size of companies as well. Yeah, I think that exactly what you're talking about is the quality high enough, and and it doesn't matter if it if the quality is is nine, you know, eight nines, if it's not actually solving my challenge. Like, great, you 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 have very very um, high quality relative to your own standards, but the data yeah. doesn't mean anything to me. It's not useful. So great, good job. Like, no, like, what? Why? Why do I care? Exactly, it has it has it has value, but it's negative value because it's providing costs to you. So, <laughs> so, so collecting data for sake of collecting is my first advice. That don't do it. It's just you're just generating more costs. So try to try to figure out what you actually need, and that's business design. Do the business design first, and then try to find the data from somewhere. Either gather it yourself, or buy it, or or exchange it, or whatever. But uh, first, decide what you actually need and why. Yeah, and well, and, and there's that that kind of tipping point of where people are like, well, we think that this data has value, so we're going to collect it. And it's like, okay, but are you collecting it in such a way that you'll actually be able to use it, or you don't know what it is, so you're just collecting it. And then it becomes that thing that, you know, I, I talk to people about, well, how much data are you are you purging from your data lake to, to prevent it from being the data swamp? They're like, well, why would we ever purge it? It's very cheap to store. It's like, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I, I get it because it's like you've been told that this has value and therefore you can't get rid of it. But yeah. uh, it's, it's funny. Um my my parents, uh, I'm trying to encourage them to throw out all of my old like baseball cards and basketball cards that mm. I've got from from growing up. And they they, you know, at first they were like, yeah, yeah, let's let's throw this out. And now they're like going through it and going, but this has some value, right? Like what? And it's like, well, how are you even going to realize that value? You're not going to go on eBay. You're not going to sell it. You're not just donate all of it. So even though you might be donating some of the value, I, I don't it doesn't matter because you're never going to be able to realize it. So it's just going to take up space and it's going to take up, you know, mental space and it's just going to be a, a hassle. So why, yeah. why yeah. I do yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get the point. I get the point. And uh, then if you want to storage something, then uh, storage some kind of uh, refinement version of it, some kind of, as you say, productized version of it. So you're not so uh, you're not storing the the uh, source data in in heavy amount of gigabytes of data. You just take the value out of it and you store that for a moment. And the further we go with the data uh, and the data economy and uh, utilizing the data in everyday business, uh, the more in my I have a gut feeling that we're going towards the moment that data has value for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. We need we need to extract extract the value on the fly 
And uh, possibly, yes, possibly we have some value when we look at the rear view mirror for a moment that, hey, where did we actually come from? But the more we should be looking forward all the time and uh, what is happening now and have some kind of rules or processing models uh, coming uh, for the signals coming from the data. But storing all that information, all that raw data, sorry, uh, source data, doesn't make any sense, at least to me. So, no. <laughs> Do you almost think of it like, I mean, it's it's a bad analogy just because of the the connotation, but radioactive material where there's kind of a value half-life and like, you know... It, as it as it goes in longer and longer time frame, there is still value in that data, but it is less and less because it it the value you know cuts itself in half every twenty minutes, every ten minutes, every you know two days, every so yeah that 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 data from five years ago has some amount of value, but the return on investment of actually storing it and processing it is negative. Exactly, 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 exactly. And uh, of course, that depends on, on the data and your business, your segment, whatever. Uh, but uh, in general, I, I that, that's a good analogy in my mind. I have never uh, figured out such a good one, but I'm going to steal that one anyway. Uh, <laughs> but but it's a good one. Uh, and uh, of course, there's, a, there's, a op- there's an opportunity that uh, some data that we have, we have no use for it we don't see any value it but someone else might see but there's again that someone might see well you can't build your business on something that something might happen (laughs) you you kind of you need to have some reason business reason to do that stuff and if you can't see it now and you there isn't a high probability that it's going to change anytime soon well Probably it makes sense just to get rid of it. And if the situation comes, okay, let's change the model. Let's change the business strategy. Let's store this part now because it might, it is probably coming coming handy for someone. But yeah, get the value from the data uh, as soon as possible. And if you can't see the value in storing it, well, get rid of it. It's it's negative cost for you eventually. Yeah, that, that whole thing of... Uh, people being so proud that their uh, data lake has 100% coverage of all of their data that they're po- and it's just like I, I don't I don't get it like that, that's the same 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 kind of uh, you know uh, looking at the wrong kind of uh, key performance indicators like the quality thing that uh, <laughs> nine nine uh, eight or nine uh, nines and 100% something or 99 point something blah who gives a damn. <laughs> It doesn't have any value for the business itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe let's pop up a little bit to the the higher level of we've been talking about kind of the data economy. You've got you know kind of three different player or types of ways of playing in the data economy. But could you give people a little bit of uh, a summation of what you talk about when you think about the data economy, and then we can go into the three different types that people are participating in. And I think kind of the middle one that uh, you had brought up when we talked previously is is really interesting. And I think it's some place where we're going to see a lot of data mesh organizations. uh, Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, As I mentioned in the beginning, uh, I'm trying to explain and describe uh, the world, the data data economy and surrounding phenomena with different kind of models. And uh, 
uh, I kind of adopted uh, the three-layer model uh, about the economy from the API economy, which was familiar to me. And, I, and as I said in the beginning, I'm seeing the same kind of uh, uh, evolution happening uh, in this in this segment as well. But uh, I've been testing the model, the model uh, layer quite heavily, and it still seems valid. And uh, the bottom layer uh, is is where the companies normally start, uh, and it's the private or internal however you want to call it. There's a slight difference. Are you talking about private use or, or internal use? But anyway, it's it's hidden. It's only inside your company borders. You are probably new to data economy. You don't have the processes to to, to, pro, to productize your data or, or you don't have the tools or your uh, staff doesn't have enough uh, data literacy skills or, or, or and, and things like that. So you're learning stuff. You're getting familiar and you want to keep it internally uh, because you don't make you don't want to make fool out of yourself. You don't want to open up anything anyone yet. You you probably uh, refine the data uh, from the source data to data products uh, to enable faster reuse. For example, analyzing uh, the data uh, customer data to make better decisions and and so on. So you, so you using it uh, to to be more efficient and uh, using the data in that sense. That's the internal layer or or private layer of data economy that I see, and that's probably the biggest layer ever because that's 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 everywhere and that's increasing all the time, and we don't see it because it's hidden inside the company borders. Uh, I'll I'll jump directly to the top layer and uh, and come back to the middle one because in the in the opposite of of the private is the completely public layer, and that's that's what we see now currently as the data marketplaces. Uh, for example, uh, Snowflake has a marketplace, and then the Amazon has their own data marketplace, and these marketplaces are popping up uh, here and there, and they are slightly different. But anyway, the thing is that uh, companies are packaging data in different kind of format to uh, the marketplaces, and you can purchase it from there. And there's some kind of rules, uh, limitations, and prices, and and so on. And it's not only about data; it's also algorithms that are sold in the marketplaces, or or it's a data stream, not not a package itself. But anyway, somehow data related. Uh, uh, packages are sold in the marketplaces in a public level. So basically anyone can purchase, anyone can see. In the middle, between the public and the private, is what I call now a closed data ecosystem layer. It's like uh, in, in, in more modern, sorry, more traditional vocabulary, we use the partner level. But it doesn't fit uh, in my experience now yet to the data economy. So we're, uh, companies are now forming this kind of uh, closed data ecosystems where they uh, bring the security and uh, the trust uh, and uh, uh, kind of uh, they, they feel comfortable of sharing information outside their company borders, but still it's a quite limited amount of other companies, for example. And this small data ecosystem is a value network. And probably they have a joint goal. So it's like a platform economic kind of thinking that there's a, probably a keystone player who's actually driving the big thing and then other companies are joining it. 
to co-create value for the joint customer for a joint uh, service or something like that. But it's in the middle, and in in that layer, you are also using data products because you want uh, other organizations to be able to use your data. And that, that's that that's how I see that. What what actually what is the most significant thing about productizing your data is that you remove the uh, need for tacit knowledge that you have inside your own company. You know your data. You know what what the zeros and uh, what the attributes mean, but no one else does. So what in the productizement, you actually make it more generically understandable, more uh, easily adaptable, and uh, the experience to use it more enjoyable. Uh, you know, like the developer experience for APIs. You want to enable developers' flow of using your products. That's what you want to happen also with the data in, in, in internal use, but also in the partner and data ecosystem layer, basically. So it's three layers, private, properly, private internal stuff. Then in the middle is the closed uh, data ecosystem layer where uh, companies cooperate, but in, in closed borders. Uh, and then the public layer, which is the current marketplaces, which are now popping up. Yeah, and I think that middle layer is going to be, I think especially when you look at multinational companies and um, you know, even under the same company name or whatever, there <laughs> they have many, many, many different companies. And so, how do you create that ecosystem? So, even under one kind of parent organization, the the kind of children organizations all have that as well. And and I think we need standards to develop. So it's it's kind of like I mean APIs. It there there isn't nearly as much of a wild west of APIs, you know, you still can create whatever you want, but there's kind of some standardization that's come along and people are able to, um, to rely on things and more easily pick them up. And that's where I think the, the data mesh ecosystem needs to go or, or the general data ecosystem around data sharing, because, you know, there are standards and things um, when it comes to things like uh, molecule development for for drugs and things like that, but most places, most ways, there isn't. And so, um, you know, do you want to be creating every single thing as a one-off, or do you want to start to to create not 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 enforced standardization, but create standards that that people can easily apply and that fit most use cases or or you kind of make them extensible standards and things and and that it, it provides an easy path to that value realization because that's that's yeah. the important yeah, yeah. and, and that, that that's that's also that's connected to the to the uh, data product model that I have the four layers model so in the ecosystem there sorry in the business in data economy uh, in my world is <laughs> three layers uh, clear layers, obviously those mixed together, but in, in the data product itself, uh, uh, the standardization that, that I do is that I, I actually defined four uh, major elements that define the data product as a metadata model. So just, and, and, it, and, and it does it openly because it's an open standard proposal, actually. It's not used any anywhere yet. It's just a meta model uh, and it's and it has the four elements, four major elements. 
but the idea is, as as you said, uh, taken again from the API economy. And I lived the moment when everything in the REST uh, APIs was a wild west. There wasn't any kind of shared understanding how to describe uh, API in machine readable format until Swagger came, and eventually it became the Open API, and uh, it actually it boosted the tools development, it boosted uh, the usability of APIs, it boosted the API economy itself. Uh, and I took the idea again from there, and I created together with a couple of colleagues uh, a, a, a open data product specification, uh, which actually defines the four, four elements of, of the data product itself. And just to briefly say that uh, we, we can go in the discussion wherever we want, but the four elements are basically, of course, you need to have the technical data flow. So there's the pipeline. So it's basically uh, how, how, how do you connect to the data and where it is and how you can access it and, and, and so on. So technical layer of the data product itself. And this is also what the data mesh is heavily about. So, But it's distributing it. But, uh, well, let's say that it's, it's the technical data flow layer uh, and that's what normally people think about when they are talking about data products but hey that's not the business approach to it so obviously we have three more layers uh, and the more uh, second one is the business plan layer so defining the business how you're gonna package it what's the value proposition of it uh, what's the name of it what's the description of it uh, what kind of plans you have for it uh, are you going to sell it as a subscription or is it a one-time payment, pay as you go? How are you going to do it? This kind of, you know, business elements, how do you uh, make a product out of it? And th- and that that is basically what you can put to the data marketplaces uh, because it's a, it's that's how, how they present their products over there. So we have two, technical data flow and business layer. And then two more, uh, we have the uh, legal layer, basically defining uh, conditions for using the data. So limitations, for example, that you can't use this outside the European Union or, or that the, this has also uh, other limitations for, for usage. You can't remix it, you can't resell it, or then you can. So these kind of legal, legal uh, boundaries are defined in one element. And the fourth one is the ethical layer. Uh, ethical layer is becoming more and more important AI world, but it should also be fundamental element of any kind of data that we're moving around and any kind of data products that we're moving around. And that element contains questions for an information about, does this contain personal data, for example? If it does, then you need to have some kind of uh, uh, agreements and processing models for that as well. So, that's how, how how I approach the data product itself, uh, having these four elements, four layers of it. And all this is described in machine-readable format under one specification. And aim is that, hey, if this would be something that could be adopted by several uh, organizations, we could build the, the tool chains uh, on top of this kind of understanding, joint understanding, hey, this is the this is the de facto standard that we're gonna use to enable flow of of information and uh, and uh, cooperate interoperability of tools and marketplaces. So it it has a potential and that's the idea. But as I said, it's in early stages. 
the version one is done and we are starting to evaluate it together with uh, a few companies now but four layers <laughs> so so i i think the one, one thing you said i would push back on which is the the data mesh really caring about the technical layer i would say that the data mesh is is like we need to stop trying to overly standardize on the technical layer and do and treat everything the same and we need to give people that are going to create these data products for business value the uh, kind of the responsibility, but also the capabilities and the rights to do it however they, they want, right? Um, but that, that business layer, you were talking about um, that it needs to be in machine-readable format. So I'd, I'd mm-hmm. like to dig into that because I think, I think you know, we can talk about where legal and ethical end up kind of overcrossing each other constantly and they're all kind of under the governance wing and all that. But um, when we think about the business layer there, that's really what matters, right? Why are you doing this? What What is this? But there's the business context of the data product itself. There's the context within what it actually means to the overall broader business. So that can be the interoperability, that can be, you know, all, all the different things. There's the business aspect of, like you said, is this a one-off or is this reuse? Like when you're, when you're even just thinking, you know, data mesh is, is designed for mostly just, um, you know, it, it, we're, we're extending it as, as a general community and, and looking at it for um, cross organization collaboration. But, you know, when Jamak was proposing it and the way that she laid it out, it's mostly about internal company uh, things, but we still have to think about that value maximization at the the local and, and, or versus the global maximization of all of the data products and all of that. So, so many different avenues we could go down there, but like, what what do you think is the most important or where, where do you think that when people are thinking about this business layer, uh, you know, it, it can't just be machine readable. It also has to be human readable. And like, do you, do you th- separate those two as two different things or do you want something that is at the same time machine readable and and person readable? And, and does that create a, a higher barrier to to getting there? Like, like I said, there's there's so many different places. Where, where would you like to jump down? Uh, obviously, it has to be understood by the business people. So definitely there's a human layer included. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm adopting uh, uh, things that have been working in other places. And I, I fell in love with the idea of, of Creative Commons license family. And they have a three-layer principle over there. So obviously, it's about uh, agreements, uh, and that's the bottom layer. So lawyer language is is the the bottom layer. So it, that's the one hundred pages long, uh, non-human understandable text of, <laughs> of any kind of <laughs> agreements and licenses. Uh, and then they have the second layer is the machine readable layer. And again. Uh, that's where I adopted that, that this has to be a machine readable, so we can we can process it with uh, programming languages. But then, and then in the Creative Commons family, there's the third layer is the human layer, and that's where where it is interpreted as uh, in a way that uh, almost everyone can understand, and we can make easily choices that hey, does this 
this model fit in my situation or not? And that's what I'm looking for also in the business. Well, in, in, in all of this specification in general, but also in the business element of it. So, uh, to be able to in machine readable format describe the, the choices that the business people want to do with the with the data products itself in different situations, different needs, and different kind of to serve this different kind of data strategies in the company. So that's the driving force to, to actually make it understandable by business people and fit in their world. And the secondary thing is the machine readable thing. Yeah, because I, I think when I've talked to people about documentation, especially what they're what they keep seeing is documentation is even if it's it's designed as human readable, it's basically machine readable, right? And it's not human readable because it is so much about what what was done to the data versus here is what the data is. Here is why we. We formatted it in such a way. Here is how you how we think you should use it or how you could use it. Maybe not even uh, applying that should, but like here are three different ways that you might use this data that we think have value, but here's what it is. So if you want to use it in a completely different way, you, you can, right? Like that's great. And so I think that's where you can really start to unlock those um, unexpected value, right? Like somebody had, I, I have very, very weird context, right? My, my history, I've done all sorts of different things. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll be talking to somebody about something and, and I'll mention something about like, you know, uh, things around doing stocks or, or things like that, because historically I did stocks and I also did AWS cost management and all this stuff. So like, I've got this context that lets me jump. Oh, you said this thing. Let's talk about these like kind of different approaches or this angle on it. And so you open that up by sharing what this means, but you do also need that, that machine readable so that it isn't that so that you actually can productize, right? Yeah. If there isn't a uh, that kind of factory automation aspect to generating and regenerating, so that there is reuse, not just can this data be used in multiple places, but can I recreate this tomorrow? And somebody can trust that they don't have to go and grab it now because it's only available now and it's only correct now and it will never be correct again in the future versus, you know, you go to the, the grocery store and the food is is not spoiled now and yet you don't have to buy it for two years down the road. You can go <laughs> two years down the road and get additional food and, you know, things your, your packaging on your, your whatever meal that you're trying to get might have changed, but it's still there. So, like, how, how, how are you explaining that to people or, 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 or do you agree with that? I, I, I agree. Uh, and that basically uh, we're, we're, what, what, what the model is trying to, trying to do is uh, it, it is actually creating, like, like when, you're, you're, when you're buying something from a store, uh, let's say uh, a package of coffee. You can look at the you you can you can even if you look at the coffee packages from different manufacturers, you're seeing the same things, and that's kind of 
it, it has become a standard that hey, you need to have this on this and that, and then you're expected to have the ingredients and also where the beans are coming from, and all these trust uh, trustworthy elements of it. So uh, again, uh, the data is 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 becoming a a strategic asset. It's becoming something th- uh, that we treat like 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 any other other commodity. So. Uh, but it's still still different, and it's so new to us still this kind of thinking. So it's gonna take time, and we are lacking this kind of standards, any kind of standards uh, beyond the technical layers, and that's the problem. We are still in the technical layer, but we should be thinking from from the user's perspective how to create trust uh, to the data. How what am I supposed to tell them uh, about the data? And keeping in mind that the user of the data isn't always the technical data scientist or data analyst anymore. It's more becoming the business person who's actually using the data. And they are not always capable of doing the same quality analysis of the data, for example. How do you create trust towards your data to this kind of persons who just want to solve the problem with some kind of easy way of of Using Excel or or some low code environment or 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 even Power BI, just the small analysis of this kind of small piece of data to tell me that hey, should I try to sell to this segment today or not? And and that trust word is so broad, right? Because trust is not just do I believe that this data is correct, mm-hmm. which is is kind of what you talked about, but do I trust that I understand it? Do I trust that I can I can use it and it means what I think it means? Do I trust that this is actually informing me and that it will continue to inform me and that it has value in what I am trying to do? And that that's, uh, I mean, do you, do you have an economic form that you're talking about as a, a, a data economist? I, I've you know had a couple of people on talking about um, measuring the value of uh, your you know your data implementations, your data projects, mm-hmm. um, not even like specifically your data products in and of themselves. But like, how do you measure that that return? How do you measure what your investment's going to be? All of that and and people keep wanting us to go towards, okay, well, when you say there's a return on investment, I can measure exactly what my investment was and I can exactly measure my return. And the answer I keep getting back is no, no, no. (laughs) So like, how do you think about that conversation for folks? How do you think about getting people to really think in economic terms, but that there's still kind of squishy measurement? Well, uh, the, the trust trusting is is as you said, it's in, intriguing, and uh, I've been involved in in uh, as a chief development officer of one of the data platforms, platform of trust. In the name, it even contains the trust. So it was built around the concept of trust and data uh, data flows, and it was targeted in Finland uh, to to construction. Sorry, uh, built environment companies. So basically, construction companies and the the surrounding business around there. And why? Well, we kind of lacked. Uh, we have platforms for different things, but we didn't have any kind of solution for that uh, environment or 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 managing the building information and and so on. But anyway, in that 
concept in that platform development we came up with this idea of a uh, 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 data product index trust index so it's a data product trust index and we started to define that together with the companies and i remind you these companies started to build these uh, middle layer uh, closed data ecosystems uh, on top of our platform and together with these companies we started to think about how do we build the trust to any kind of data and uh, obviously some of these elements uh, from which the, the index is calculated are the quality attributes of any kind of data flow but then there was also the question that uh, we need to trust and the one element is also the on organization providing the information how do we know that they are who they claim to be have they uh, done their obligations for example paid their taxes how uh, what what's their uh, track record in in anything so how trustworthy is the organization itself so it became quite a broad concept as you said and it's not even done yet there's like i, I think i if i recall correctly there's 11 attributes now 11 factors that are actually uh, producing the trust index value for any kind of data product but that but it, it, it's it's a work work uh work work in progress but it, it's as you said it is tricky thing and it, it's it's far more than just uh, are you trusting the data itself it's it's really more complex thing and then then also uh considering uh the value chain itself uh data is uh, processed and stored by different organizations as part of the productizement process itself. So different companies are owning it, some different companies are providing the systems, uh, providing the sensors, and different companies are doing the harmonization and, and so on. So the, the whole value chain, you have to trust that as well. And yeah. the level of trust is, is as strong as the weakest link. So if there's one one partner having a crappy SLA, well, that's the SLA of your whole goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's, it really is that weakest link kind of thing. And um, so you know, I, I I'll, I'll ask the um, what I presume is is somewhat of a, a, a stupid question, but but before we jump into that. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this was something that Khan Chow had talked about a lot on his episode um, when he was talking about why they were going from data services and, and you know, they had started with data federal uh, federation and data virtualization, but it was taking them two to three months to get up a new data service each time. And people just didn't trust it or use it very well because the total cost of ownership was actually much higher than anybody expected because they didn't have that trust and there was all this post-processing past consumption. Right. So like, you know, you're talking about there are these different aspects and these different SLAs and they they really impact the trust and that trust is, is kind of the main value measurement. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously the data itself has to be valuable if you can fully trust it, but it's it's completely nonsensical data, but that that trust really impacts um, the value. Like, what are you seeing when you talk to people? What what do you think of when somebody says, how do I maximize the value of, of this, 
you know, set of data or my broad set, you know, all of my data, like what, what are, what are the things where you, you can kind of flip it on its head and anti-pattern it and go, well, here are the, the three places where if you don't solve your data is, is pretty useless and not, you know, or, or pretty valueless. Well, yeah. Uh, um, again, again, this is, uh, I, I would say that it's three, three elements again. Somehow I have everything is pretty much everything is three or four. <laughs> There's a pattern again. So, but anyway, three, three, <laughs> three is easy to remember. <laughs> well, and, and you just you 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 think about you know uh, valuating, and it's like okay, number one is forty percent, number two yeah, is yeah. you know twenty five percent, number three is twenty percent. So you've got pretty good coverage beyond that. So. Eh. <laughs> but yeah, nor- normally, normally when I when I call to companies, uh, they discuss with them uh, with, about their data or monetizing their data or or data strategies or whatever, and they ask me advices what to do. Uh, then I see probably see say that there's a three things that you need to somehow manage, and uh, <laughs> the first thing is that treat everything every data that you refine as it would go outside. So. As you would don't don't have a different process for how do you productize your internal use or your uh, ecosystem layer or your public layer. Treat everything the same. Have the same process for everything. So that ensures that you're you're doing more efficiently and you don't you don't need to <laughs> think of uh, think about uh, the publicity layer or anything else. Uh, uh, is this gonna be public or or not? Just prepare that it's gonna be public. So. All right, let's make it uh, uh, secure. Let's make it understandable by everyone, and let's make it useful. So, well, it doesn't have any sense, any any mind to have anything uh, as a product if it doesn't have any value for anyone. So that's one thing. So, so treat every product, every data set that you you want to reuse or anything as as it would go outside, and use sold by in a marketplace or something like that. And that that includes also that hey, take care of your data pipelines, take care of your your systems scalabilities, and and this technical stuff normally. So th- that's the first thing. the The second thing is is that uh, get your own staff uh, up to the standard needed in the data literacy. So make sure that everyone in your company has a certain level of data literacy. Not just the teams that actually create and use heavily the data products uh, in their work, but everyone in your company, because that's the that's the skill that is going to be needed now and in the near future. It doesn't mean that everyone has to be data scientist. You as a company need to set the level where everyone has to be, and that depends on your business strategy and your business goals. How high that has to be. So think about that level and then start your data literacy program and get everyone educated to actually understand the basics at least for of, of how to deal with the data, how to evaluate the, the trustworthiness or, or the value of it or, or the quality of it. And this normal stuff. So and and that they actually can do something with it without without pushing every little development detail back to the technical people, which normally takes time and they are they are flooded already with different kind of works so it's going to be delay in your business again no you don't want that you want everyone to be capable of processing the data to a certain level 
Yeah, and I was going to say, I, I think um, when you think about that, there's the processing and there's the actual technical processing, but there's the mental processing, right? Yeah. Like, how how do you teach people to to inform their decisions with data and to trust that they can and to show them how they can assess that trust, like you said, but like that they can inform their decisions with data because, you know, and get them to a a place where they're comfortable with it. And then, as you said, you know, there, there should be data out there that isn't like I'm showing you the answer, but, you know, East Oldfield's, um, talk was talking about kind of self-service. There are people who just want the pre-canned report. And if that pre, you, you have to make it so that pre-canned report can change and things like that. But it's fine to have those people. They can still be data literate. They can still be informing their decisions where they're not going and creating all the, the queries themselves. You know, data you know, self-serve doesn't just mean that you can just get access to the data. It means that you can get access to insights within your own realm. So I, I just, I, I thought that was a really, really important point that you, that you had made. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. And uh, uh, I have a drawing, um, too bad that I, I can't show it here, but I have a drawing about the data literacy part. Uh, and uh, it does have a, this kind of segments, 10%, 80%, 10%. So it's like a standard deviation. So in the middle, you have the 80%, which is the most of your staff. That's where you, this most of the, this is your workhorse. They do the most of the work and they need to be skilled in certain level to be able to, uh, to use the data more efficiently than before. Uh, on their left side, let's say that it's on the left side, uh, is the 10% who's the laggards. They are not going to be your data literate people. They just, they're going to reuse whatever is given, what kind of reports are, are available in the, in, the, in the SharePoint or somewhere else. And then on the right side of this 80% mass is the second uh, 10%. And that's, that's the pioneers. That's mm-hmm. your front runners. That's the people who adapt the new things. They make the mistakes. They make the learnings. And they productize the solutions for the 80%. That's their task. And you should be supporting that kind of crowd. You know, the, the proper heads, uh, invention, innovative people who actually, well, they have they make a, a hell of a amount of uh, mistakes and costs, but they are actually the people who give you the, the tools for the uh, next week or next month or next year. But again, the 80% mass is that where you should be focusing heavily that this this workhorse can actually do the heavy lifting of the data that you are enabling for them to use. And that's the core of data literacy in my world. And that's yeah. what I'm building in a couple of companies now. And it's, and it, and it, it's proving uh, profitable. And uh, people are loving it when we are just enabling them to do and to find answers to the uh, to the questions, and uh, it's not always easy. Sometimes there's a problem that hey, I can't solve this with the tools that you you have given me. Well, fine, okay, let's find a way, or let's let's put it uh, to the developers to solve it. But enabling people to do stuff is is the key in the data literacy again. So, and sorry to have interrupted, but I think that was a, a really, really good tangent. But you, you said, you know, your your three points were um, the data literacy, and then um, the first one was... Um, everything as it would be public, yeah. Yeah, 
And then what and, was the, the third one? <laughs> third one, third one is uh, uh, have a, a, a ready-made toolkit for business people uh, to work on on mocking data products and testing it with the customers. So it's also also kind of a process kind of model, but it's not technical process. It's business process and tools for that. And that is lacking quite heavily now. We have the technical uh, layers. We 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 kind of uh, people are talking about data literacy a, a lot, but we are not talking uh, enough about the business layer and their processes and their tools. Uh, and they don't have to be complex tools. They don't have to be anything heavy. We can take uh, uh, modifications of business business model canvases and uh, make them adapted. To the world that we are doing with the data, and, and the things like that. So, and that that's that's the other thing that I'm I'm, I'm also developing together with a couple of actually already a couple of hundred companies. <laughs> so we're doing this data product toolkit. It's it's a set of canvases that actually helps the business people to to think about what are we going to do with the data, how much money are we aiming to do, who's the customer, what's the problem, and, and so what's the solution. So, uh, kind of mocking, mocking, uh, and design-driven approach to to data productizement. Do Do you think of that as like to me? It's it, one of the big challenges I see with data is is trying to solve too many things with tools all the time. So that's mm-hmm. almost like it's it's a tool, but it's more process than it is tool because the tool is like, hey, ask these questions and answer these questions, and so it's like you're 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 standardizing or or creating a standard around the process and there's a tool that supports create you know enabling that that conversation but it is still a conversation it it needs to be conversational driven exactly exactly you're you're you're, you're you understood it correctly it's more about the process itself and this this toolkit is 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 solving is it's giving some uh, specific uh, tools for specific spots in the process it's not covering everything it's it it has holes and it's not perfect but it, it it's a cyclic process it the idea is again iteration that uh, we are uh, trying to evaluate uh, the product uh, as a mocking solution as long as we have the product market fit when we are certain of it, and then we can actually push it to implementation. And in the process, you have the marketing people, you have the technical people, you have the business people involved. So basically, all the aspects. It's 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 like adapting the uh, currently most used product uh, development process in the data. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. It's 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 creating a, a speculative data product, right? It's exactly. it's creating this thing and, and that's like your kind of stalking horse or whatever you want to call it yeah. of like or mock or, or whatever, where you yeah. say, Hey, this is what we're looking at creating. Let's talk to our consumers and have this before we put in the work. Exactly. You, 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 you get <laughs> towards and it might not be that this is the end evolution. It might not be that this is the only way that this data product gets used, but you know that you've got a, a consumer, and if you execute on this and you communicate it well, there's a uh, an 80, 90 percent adoption chance. Versus yeah. if you don't do this, there's a 20, 30 percent adoption chance. So why aren't you spending this extra 10 percent of cost to have these conversations yeah. to up your your success rate 
you know, by two, three X. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That, that's 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 the model behind it. So basically, you you will you will have a lot of uh, paper paper mockups of data products in 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 one canvas. Is one product you might have ten of those, and then you can put those online. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, next to each other and evaluate. Hey, what which of these actually looks most promising to us? And let's pick that one, and let's. Let's mock that in the data marketplace directly. We have the value proposition. We have the name. We have a sample data. Let's put it out there and let's ask the customer, Would you, what is stopping you to buy this? <laughs> and then when you have the answer, hey, nothing is, uh, can I buy it now? No, okay. In, in a week, you can buy it. <laughs> That's the, we, we, I've been having this conversation with folks about when, like when they are doing that mocking internally and, and saying, okay, uh, how do you label it? So such that people won't try to start using it immediately. Cause they go, well, this thing is available. So therefore it's of quality. And it's like, uh, oh, we flipped the script where you trust too much too early. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> All right. Well, well, uh, Yarko, this has been uh, a phenomenal conversation. I think it'll really help people to think about um, a lot of, you know, why are they, why do they need to go down this route with, with a specific data product, and to really think about this on the micro and the macro level of like, yeah. what are we trying to do? Here are some good evaluation frameworks. Here are some places where you need to make sure you've covered because if you don't have answers here, or if you haven't thought of this. Um, if you haven't uh, approached it with the same angle, you're going to probably have a lot more uh, challenges than you really need to. So um, is there anything we didn't cover or is there any um, any way that you'd like to sum up the, the kind of conversation? Well, I think we covered pretty much everything, but uh, trying to summar- summarize is, is that... Uh, um, Think think of the data data world uh, now more from uh, let let the business people lead it now and if they are not uh, up to the task now educate them get the knowledge to them get get them uh, get them familiar with uh, data product uh, models opportunities and the challenges and make them com- make them comfortable make them believe in themselves in this kind of way let them lead instead of having the technical people be there and make them work together eventually but the first step is to actually make it led by the business people because again you have a business to run you need to make profit and your business people should be uh, leading the process not the technical people yeah, I mean, we, we've constantly tried to solve all of our challenges in data with technologies. And if we if we let the technical people run, you know, I, I love all, all of you technical people, but yeah. you like technology more than you like business. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, um, so Yarko, uh, uh, if people want to follow up with you, uh, you know, about the many things we covered today, Where's the best place, and 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 what what do you want them kind of reaching out to you about if if they're going to be following up? Well, in in general way, like like all all the people, you can find me from from LinkedIn, uh, obviously, and that's the generic. If you don't know exactly why you should contact me, but you want to have a chat, I'm always open for having having an online chat with people uh, about different things. So. Go there and connect with me uh, in LinkedIn. But if you if you want to go 
directly to do business and uh, think about data stuff and data strategies and putting it in, in the, creating value out of it, then go to dataproductbusiness.com. Uh, dataproductbusiness.com, and that's the site where you can actually find uh, the links to the data open data product specification or, and also the toolkit that we've been creating. And also my research is over there. So my PhD research is also opened up there. So that's where the core, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pouring all the new information over there. And that, that's the core of my life at the moment. So, so two places, LinkedIn and, and the site. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll drop links to those in the show notes yeah. as per usual. But uh, again, Yarko, I think this has been uh, a really, really helpful and, and just fun conversation. So I think it'll help a lot of people. So I want to thank you for the time today, and I want to thank everybody for listening. And thank you for the opportunity and uh, keep up with the good work. I would again like to thank my guest today, Yarko Moilinen, who is the data economist, and he will be presenting again at the Data and Innovation Summit here in the first week of May. If you'd like to get in contact with him or check out any of the things he had mentioned, you can find the links in the show notes. Thank you. As mentioned, this episode was part of the Data Innovation Summit Takeover Week of Data Mesh Radio. The Takeover Week featured three people presenting at the conference, sharing their insights related to their focus areas that are also useful to those implementing Data Mesh. I chose to promote the Data Innovation Summit as the Hyperite team who is running the summit has been one of the best in terms of discussing data mesh in a practical way around a lot of their content. The summit takes place May 5th and 6th in Stockholm, Sweden and online. The Data Innovation Summit team has graciously offered up three free online attendance tickets as well as one in-person ticket. Please see the show notes for information on how to enter your name to win free tickets and also to use the 20% discount code if you aren't one of the lucky ones who win. In-person tickets are about $465 after the discount code and online tickets are about $200. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. 